Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking about tracking food, activity, and progress. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 139 of the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about tracking food, activity, and progress. And Nicole, I think that this is very important because I think a lot of times people just kind of nonchalantly go through their training program expecting Mm -hmm. results. And the reality is that you have to track certain things in order to really know what's going on, what's going right, what's going wrong really learn about yourself. You really have to be able to hold yourself accountable. You have to create awareness, education. You have to continue to educate yourself throughout the journey, not just from a, you know, we talk a lot about the science of nutrition and exercise, but also just educating yourself around things that work for you in particular and educating yourself around your own behaviors and your habits and learning about your hunger and satiety cues and learning about how your body responds to different foods, learning about what exercise program works best for you, and even learning about what types of exercise you actually enjoy. Maybe there are things that you just don't want to do that don't really need to be in your program and you're kind of forcing yourself to do these things because you think that's what you need to do or that's what needs to be done to get a certain result. And then also really more so learning to adhere to your program is also important. Nicole, let's kind of dive into tracking food, how to track food, why you want to track food, what that does for you. So different methods, Nicole, you want to just talk about different methods of how you can track your food? Yeah, sure. I have four. I go from easiest to maybe the more difficult or harder way to do it. So I start with either portion control. So just take what you're currently eating day to day and just start measuring out your protein, measuring out your water intake. Like how much water are you drinking? Are you getting three cups of vegetables a day? Like I just start with very basic stuff and that just cleans up the quality of food and how much you're eating. And I find that to be the easiest for people to kind of get started. The second would be if they start taking pictures of their food. So if they're measuring and weighing and tracking amounts, then the next thing I do is I say, okay, if the measuring and weighing is a little bit you know, tedious at first, then I'll say, okay, well, how about we just track some pictures, meaning just drop them in the app, your three meals a day, a couple of your snacks, just to build awareness of how much you're eating, what you're eating. Um, I think the biggest things with pictures of food that I tend to not get in journals, whether you're doing a written journal or a log in an app, is the condiments. So like if I have someone that has a breakfast sandwich and a, like a boatload of ketchup on the side, they'll journal the, the sandwich, but they never journal the ketchup. So little things like that, that you can see in pictures that people tend to like not be aware of at the time when they're starting to track. 
Or I would argue that there are some times that people just think that there are certain things that are, well, that's not that important. That can't possibly be exactly. a lot, right? It's just a little bit of, let's say, I don't know, barbecue sauce, for example. Like, oh, yeah, it's just, salad dressing. It's just, I just a little bit. A little. Yeah. Right. And and the thing is with something like that is there there's two things. There's a perception of portion where we talk about like, you need to be able to develop a perception for what a portion looks like because you can pour something like a salad dressing, for example, and you have no idea how much you're using. You don't even know what a serving size looks like because yeah. you've never even looked at the label. Yeah. And then you find out that a serving size is one or two tablespoons. And then when you compare how much you've been pouring in it, I think mm -hmm. olive oil is the perfect example of this yeah. where the people don't understand like cooking, for example. I'm mm -hmm. cooking with, I always say you need to measure the fats that you're cooking with because if you look at a tablespoon of olive oil, it's roughly around 20 grams of fat. And if you multiply that out, because fats add up so quickly, so just to kind of highlight this for you, a gram of fat is nine calories, a gram of protein and a gram of carbs are four calories. So it's a lot easier to overeat things like fats, especially when they're in dressings. And mm -hmm. if you look at a tablespoon of olive oil, that's 20 grams of fat, that's 180 extra calories. Now, yeah. if you're not accounting for it and you're just pouring it and maybe yeah, you have exactly. three of those, that's an extra three, 400 plus calories in just one meal. And that adds up. And then you start to say, okay, well, I, why am I not seeing results? Well, you're not seeing yeah. results because you're not accounting for the little things. So like you're saying, Nicole, whether you're doing it in pictures or on paper or in an app or just tracking your portions you have to account for everything and you also have to start looking at the labels and learning. This is where the education yeah. piece comes in. Yeah, exactly. So the first two is the portion. Second is the pictures. And then like you mentioned, the third is a paper journal, like just writing it down. And I usually have clients write everything down and then I'll have them at the end of the week use a yellow highlighter for protein, a green highlighter for vegetables or fiber, and then like a red highlighter highlighter for fats and then, you know, some type of circle for water. So we'll go through the written journal and I'll say, OK, go highlight all your protein. Did you get protein at every meal? Did you get fiber twice a day? Blah, 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 blah. And again, it's that those first three are awareness, quality of food, portion and really just becoming aware of what you're doing, educated on how you're doing it and then learning about what you're maybe not being as aware of or fine tuning or tracking or just need to learn about more. And then the last is an actual tracker like my fitness pal or our eat right app where they can actually journal food and put in recipes. And a lot of the times while I love them and I use them for a lot of clients, I do find the biggest concern I have with those is it spits out calories. Okay. So you're going to have 1800 calories, 30, 40, 40 in terms of your macro split. I find a lot of the times people get. You mean 30, 40, uh, 30, 30? Whatever the, yeah, whatever your. I was going to say 110%. <laughs> My point being is that whatever your macro split is and the calories that the, the app gives you, I tend to find that most people get really um, hyper-focused on fitting food into the calories versus eating and controlling portion and quality, and then making sure it's just a nice balanced program in terms of food. So I feel like it can sometimes you, can get backwards. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? Well, yeah. So, okay. If I have 1800 calories and I have to get in 
I don't know, I'm just making up numbers, 120 grams of protein. A lot of the times throughout the day, if you're trying to get 120 grams of protein in and you're forcing, like, I have to have four ounces of chicken here, three ounces of steak here, and two eggs here, and whatever you kind of plan for the day, a lot of the times if someone becomes hyper-focused on only being able to eat those foods to fit into that macro breakdown, they're not paying attention to their hunger cues. They're not paying attention to what foods they actually like and what creates satiety. They're not paying attention to whether they really want to eat the meal or not. Now, don't get me wrong. Food is fuel and you need to feed your body. But I also believe in adherence, which is longevity and enjoyment. So if you don't have all three of those together and you're just feeding to hit numbers, People drive themselves batshit crazy trying to plug in numbers to fit that, foods to fit that vat versus paying attention to what they actually feel, what they want. And I really do believe you can do both. So if you're going to use a tracker like MyFitnessPal or Chronomine or any of those, you should be able to still enjoy the foods that you want with healthy, good quality foods and hit your quote unquote numbers with a balance of it being a lifestyle that you can adhere to. Yeah. I mean, I would say to me, the apps are really more so kind of an educational uh, tool. Agreed. Because it's just about, for me, the biggest thing that I get from the apps with clients is that it teaches them just how many calories are in the foods that they're eating. Right. And it teaches them yeah. where they're going over and some foods that yeah. Maybe don't fit into your plan right now, or maybe mm -hmm. don't fit into your plan in the quantities that you normally eat them. And Absolutely. then you really start to learn. Honestly, you learn about how quickly calories add, add up. up. And yeah. that is mind blowing to some people initially where they're like, <laughs> holy shit, I never realized how many calories were in insert yeah. X, Y, and Z food, right? So mm -hmm. from an education standpoint, I think it's really important for you to develop a perception of calories also develop a perception of what a portion looks like for you. So for example, oftentimes I'll tell clients, if you're using a food journal, log in the day before for the next day so that you know what a portion, if you want to get 30 grams of protein in, I don't care where that protein comes from. That doesn't yeah. matter. And that yeah. is where kind of the flexible dieting approach comes in. Same yeah. thing with your carbs and your fat. Now, do I want you to get in predominantly whole foods? Yes. But I, I just had a conversation with a consult recently where he's telling me, and this is to your point, Nicole, where we're talking about listening to your body and your hunger and your cues. He's telling me I eat clean all day and then I eat two bagels at night and I just can't control myself. And I'm, yeah. my response was, well, what if you just fit the bagel into your day? Mm -hmm. So they're I think the apps are very important to be able to say, okay, well, a bagel is, I don't know, 53 grams of carbs or somewhere around that range. Okay, mm -hmm. so you have 53 grams of carbs. Can you have 53 grams of carbs in a meal? Yes, great. That bagel fits into that meal. So yeah. it teaches you also that flexible dieting approach. And I think that also depends on the coach yeah. and how the coach can guide them through that and understanding, okay, what foods fit in certain scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, overall tracking in any of those four options is phenomenal. And I believe everyone should track, learn, become aware, et cetera. It's part of the process of your journey, like you said, about figuring out what's working and what's not working. I also think tracking is really important for understanding the mistakes that you're making and not beating the crap out of yourself because you ate a bagel 
and you went over, the learning is, okay, next time you plan. I also think the planning ahead is a great point too, because if you're, you are entering it in ahead versus taking pictures, we tend to not do that ahead of time. Any other other options in terms of like doing it in the now, the planning ahead is a big piece with those types of trackers that is a huge positive. So you can see ahead of time and then be able to have that flexibility. But I think beating yourself up if you have a couple of days where you're like, wow, I really did go over my carbs. It's okay. This is how you learn. And then you can alter, make changes and figure out what's a better option. Yeah. So my approach with dealing with quote unquote mistakes, and I put them in quotes because I call them areas of opportunity. So anytime I get on a call with a client, I say, what are some areas of opportunity you have? Or I I give them or I highlight, hey, here are some areas of opportunity for you. Because when I create that dialogue with people, they're not so hard on themselves because they, they look yeah. at it as an area that they can improve on rather than looking at it as I fucked up. Yeah. Right. And I think it's really important to create that dialogue where you're it's not a perfect journey. It's never going to be perfect. You're going to have slip ups. You're going to they're going to be ups and downs. You're going to just have moments where you want to eat certain foods and you don't feel like staying on track, let's say that day. But if out of 365 days in a year, if you had even 60 days or 90 days where you, it wasn't perfect, perfect yeah. you're still going to get results from that. So I think yeah. it's important really to realize that. But I, like I said, I like to look at it as areas of opportunity because then it tells them you can improve on this area and you didn't just throw, throw everything out the window. You shouldn't be mad at yourself. Yeah. Or like this morning, I got a text from a client who my Friday is a big way in day for me. Um, and I got a text from a client and she said, um, I had my, I went over my calories and I woke up this morning two pounds lighter. And she's like, what the heck is that? And I'm like, you don't have to be perfect all the time. Sometimes the, the that rigid squeeze the hand, make everything perfect does not allow your body a little bit of, of wiggle room. Sometimes it backfires. Sometimes yeah. if you're too strict, too rigid for a long period yeah. of time, we talk about metabolic adaptation, right? That's a real yeah. thing. Now, Nicole, uh, uh, scales and measuring cups or having some kind of way to measure, mm -hmm. is, I think is very important. And I think it's very important for people to develop a perception through those tools. Yeah. Because people really have no idea. Right? We've talked time and time again about how Americans underestimate calories and overestimate the amount of protein that they're eating. And using a scale and a measuring cup, there's nothing wrong with it for a period of time. I know that you know we have the intuitive eating, whatever, but I, I think it's a very useful tool just to learn. You don't need to tie to it forever, but what I will say with using a, a scale and a measuring cup is the further away you are from that, from my experience at least, portions tend to grow over time. Yes. And then it's important to revisit that mm -hmm. and just refine every once in a while, especially when like a new goal comes up. Maybe you have yeah. an event, maybe you're going on a vacation. This is where you want to reincorporate that tool, not just think, oh, I've used a food scale. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it's a reconnect. And then another way that you can do that without having to use a food scale is the palm of your hand, your thumb, mm -hmm. your fist, right? So like your fist would be a serving of carbohydrates. Your palm of your hand is about four ounces of meat, thickness of a deck of cards, right? And mm -hmm. then your thumb is going to be like a source of fat, maybe a cheese, so things that are of that size, I think it's very easy to just pull out a tablespoon and, you know, measure any oil that you're doing. But yeah. I think it's important to 
track all of these things and use these tools in order to help you track. But Nicole, back to the apps versus pictures versus paper. Do you think that in some cases, paper is not enough where they're writing it down and you're really seeing the quality of food? Mm -hmm. But are you really getting the quantity in that case? No, unless they're measuring as they are writing things down, which I think does help. So but then again, let me let me ask you this, though. OK, if they're putting it on paper at the end of the day, what it's going to come down to is calories. Mm -hmm. So are you quantifying that with people? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so here's the thing in terms of calories, you mean, or just yes, calories portion. or macros Um, in the beginning? No, I just work on quality and portion. But let's so, say you're down the road with a client. Are you going to push them into a food journal or are you going to leave them at, at paper? So there's two things that will de decide that. One, are they seeing results? So if someone is writing on paper and measuring protein and a fist of this and da 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 da, and, I, and they're getting results, I leave them alone because it's working and it's comfortable and they like it and it's easy and it's good. If they are not getting results, then I will say, hey, maybe we need to level up here and really get to the nitty gritty and maybe we should try an app. And then I have them do it for like, everybody knows 14 days, I zero out calories, I have them track everything and see where they land. And then we go from there. So that's why I start with portion, then I go to pictures and then I go to paper and then I go to app. And most of the time, like 99% of the time, if someone's not journaling at all, which honestly, it's very rare that that happens. They're doing something, but a lot of people are already using apps. Apps are huge right now, like not right now, but in general. Yeah. So and I also think as we get into younger populations that start to get older and start to use these things as tools, yeah, they're more tech savvy. So it's a lot easier. Absolutely. Like I remember doing... Yeah nutrition challenges at CrossFits mm -hmm. with people who were older and couldn't understand the, to get them just to download the app on their yeah, phone. Was, yeah. So I'd have to give them paper journals and have them yeah. do it separately. Yeah. But the, a couple of things that I want to talk about now, Nicole, is the tracking things that you shouldn't track in your app. And mm -hmm. one of those things, if your app gives you back more calories yes, for activity, don't track that. So oftentimes I'll tell people, make sure that your step tracker is not linked to your MyFitnessPal mm -hmm. and make sure that you're not tracking your exercise in the app. Because sometimes people ask me, they'll say, how do I track my exercise in the app? And I say, don't. You track that in the Eat Right Nutrition app. Yeah. But you're not going to track it in MyFitnessPal because it's going to earn you more calories. And there's a big miss, like we always talk about with MyFitnessPal, is that it already accounts for your activity factor when it asks you and runs you through all of those questions. Or if we're calculating your baseline and your your total daily energy expenditure and your caloric needs, we're already going to account for that activity factor. And we're going to create a deficit based off of that. If you're adding calories for activity, all you're doing is eating extra and you're not going to lose that weight. So you need to maintain that deficit with that exercise already accounted for and not eat back your calories. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, agreed. Don't track your activity in there. And then speaking of activity, Nicole, the next one is tracking your activity. So how and where do you track your activity? So the one thing that I'll say, one of the most important things that I look at tracking these days is tracking your steps. Mm -hmm. 
because and we just did a whole episode two or three episodes ago you can reference that on the importance of steps the importance for health all cause mortality the importance for your metabolism the importance for your results so i'm not really going to get into that but one of the things that you definitely want to track either on your phone if it's in your pocket all day or a fitbit or a watch is how many steps you're getting in a day because that is going to be really closely tied to and nicole you and i talked about this earlier where we talked about the clients who are most successful are the ones that are getting 12,000 plus steps a day. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that you don't want to track in terms of activity is your calories on your device. Now, I'm going to put a little disclaimer on this. Your calories on any device, and I did this the other day where I was on the bike oh, and yeah. my the bike told me I burned like 490 calories and my watch told me that I burned 800 something calories, right? That's yeah. double. Right. Yeah. And that just goes to show you both of those things are wrong because yeah. any device, first of all, my heart rate was linked to my watch and it wasn't linked to the bike that I was on. But even aside from that, the calories burned in the workout on a device, on a wrist worn device at least, is anywhere between 27 and 92% error, which is a huge percentage error. So yeah. that's not really going to be accurate. But what I will say is one thing that may kind of signify something for you is if you're doing the same workout or if you're working out for a longer period of time, obviously the number of calories on your device is going to tell you that you burn more calories. So maybe you can use some of the data. I just don't think that the data is in a place where we can say this is definitely the number of calories that you burn. So I don't rely on that. And when it comes to tracking, really track, are you in a deficit? What is your expenditure in terms of how much activity you're doing? And is that producing a result? And if it's not producing a result, then you're likely not in a deficit. And that's how you're going to know how many calories you're eating versus burning. I, I really think that's the only way to do it unless you really do kind of like direct or indirect calorimetry where you don't have access to that, right? The everyday person doesn't have access to what research has access to. So in that case, I wouldn't track that. What I would track, though, in addition to steps, is your heart rate. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of me getting into why devices aren't entirely useless, because I think people just use them for calories is the issue. So your heart rate is important to track so that if you're doing, let's say, the same speed on a treadmill with the same incline, you can see your heart rate go down with the same activity. And then you know that you're training your metabolic conditioning and your cardiovascular system. And in addition to that, let's say you're doing interval training and it's in your program on a week to week basis, you can look at how quickly it takes for your heart rate to go down and that's measuring your recovery. So if you're recovering quicker, your heart rate goes down faster back to baseline. And yeah. that means that you're producing an outcome. So that's a good thing to track from a health standpoint, from a performance standpoint. Other things to track outside of that are tracking your strength either in an app or a notebook just like the same thing with the the food journal with the eat right nutrition app we track it i mean we build the programs out for our clients and then they track what is their weight i can't tell you how many times people have come to me not remembering what weight they've done and oh, they'll yeah. and they'll ask it's like people that i train one on one and yeah, they'll yeah. ask me and I'm like, do you know how many clients I have that I have to track weight for? I, I can't <laughs> remember if you didn't plug it into the app. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, performance is a huge. This is the big piece for me. Like even the steps per day, I'll have clients do a one mile 
step test and track how long it takes them to walk a mile. And then as we work on their steps and increasing steps or increasing the speed of the mile, then at the beginning of the program, they can, if it's a 20 minute mile, at the end of the program, they can do an 18 minute mile. Things like that are a great way to track. And then to your point, strength, obviously, over time. All right. In addition to that, I'd say, Nicole, that during your workouts, you want to track your rest intervals. And oh, yeah. I think this goes for the people that bullshit a lot in the gym that <laughs> will take five to 10 minutes in between sets, and then they'll end up at the gym for three hours. Yeah. You really want to track your rest intervals from a standpoint of now, depending on what you're doing, you're going to want different rest intervals. If you're doing some interval training, like high intensity interval training, you may want to do one minute on two minutes off. You, if you're doing Tabata, it's you know 20 seconds on 10 seconds off. So you're really tracking the time pretty stringently there. But if you're doing something like resistance training, like two to three minutes, and if you're doing power lifting three to five minutes, mm -hmm. but you don't really want to go so far beyond that. You want to make sure that your that muscle is active. And especially when we talk about burning calories when you're doing a workout, if you just do a set, wait 10 minutes, then do another one, your <laughs> metabolic rate's not going to stay elevated. So I think it's important to track your rest intervals when you're in the gym. Absolutely. And yeah. those are things that we prescribe in the app too, is we'll tell mm -hmm. you how many minutes we want you to rest. Now it's give or take. It's not perfect. I'll put for a lot of exercise, like if I do a superset with somebody, a push pull, for yeah. example, I'll put a two minute rest in between. But I mean, you could be ready in 130, you could be ready in three minutes. So you kind of have to gauge, but you don't want to pass a, a certain threshold when it comes to uh, tracking your rest intervals. And then Nicole, the third one is tracking progress. Yeah. Well, you combine the two of those that we just kind of talked about and then you want to see a result. So this overall progress is the next step, right? So your uh, progress pictures, you're talking about, right? Body weight, body fat, what else? So pro so let's get let's get into that. The tracking your weight, tracking your progress pics, tracking your body fat. I think oftentimes this is where it comes to people just think they kind of hyper-focus on the scale and they yeah. think that if the scale didn't go down, they didn't see results. Yeah. But what I always say is weight, measurements, how yeah. your clothes fit, yeah. progress pictures, and then body fat if you have access to it. Lean really mass. depending on what, what is that? Lean mass. Like if lean. you're doing any type of like body fat, lean mass. Yeah. If you have access to it, if you have access to a decent one, what I will say when it comes to body fat is hydrostatic weighing, bod pod, DEXA are the top three in no particular order. If mm -hmm. you have, and you know, what's interesting now is that I've had clients go to, there are places now that you can go yeah. to, you can pay a hundred bucks and they'll give you, and you could do that on a monthly basis and you'll get yeah. a more accurate reading. The in-body gives you, uh, so a lot of gyms have the in-body now. It will give you a reading of from the hands and the feet where a lot of gyms, like if you have a scale at home, I don't think that that's very accurate if you're using body fat there. Just and like if, the foot, just just the, the feet. feet, just coming from the feet. So it's bioelectrical, the, the hand or the feet, right? So there's the handheld device that some gyms would have, and then there's I bought a scale that I'm using at home that measures my body fat. The issue with that is it's bioelectrical impedance, so it's sending electrical impulses through your body, and then it's estimating the amount of water that's in your body, and then calculating based on that because predominantly muscle is water. 
The problem is for the electrical impulses to go through your feet and all the way up your body or the other way through your arms and all the way down your body, you're not really going to get good conductivity further throughout your body. So the in-body has the handheld and the feet, but even with bioelectrical impedance, what I'd say with that is I like to use it for general trends and make sure that you're trending in the right direction rather than individual readings, because it is going to have some variance based on your hydration status. There are a lot of things that are going to affect that reading. So for example, if you've worked out versus not worked out, if you started measuring working out, then maintain that. Always measure after you work out. Or if the ideal situation is you measure before your workout. So because the level of sweat is going to affect the reading. And then some of the other recommendations of it are don't work out within a 24-hour period, try not to have caffeine beforehand, which is tough for some yeah, people. Yeah, you have to follow the protocol of the machines. Uh, you have to follow the protocol of the machine, whatever machine you're using, like in order to get, quote unquote, as accurate as possible for that particular machine. But I honestly, I mean, I've heard so many trainers argue over this topic. And quite frankly, I don't fucking care. I don't care at all. I get my clients to do it the same way every time so we can track the trend so that I have an idea of what's working and what's not working. That's all these body fat machines are meant to do, in my opinion. Yeah. You know what my thing is? I don't care for it at all. I can honestly, I'd rather do without measuring your body fat at all. And I'd rather do with getting your measurements, getting your progress pictures and getting your weight. And that's enough for me, mm -hmm. especially because the online clients that I have, they don't have access to that stuff sometimes. So right. it's like, all right, well, then figure these it out. are the things. But the point is that when you're tracking progress, you shouldn't just use one metric because exactly. other metrics might be changing while some aren't. All right. And the other metrics that you want to track, like we talked about tracking your strength, tracking your performance, your resting heart rate, Tracking your blood pressure, I think, is an overlooked one. I think it's important for people to track their blood pressure. If yeah. you have access to a blood pressure cuff, to do it on a somewhat regular basis. And I've I've thought this somewhat recently because I have been reading about this where if you get a blood pressure measurement annually from your doctor, I don't think that that's enough because it's giving you one snapshot in time. I would prefer if everybody measured their blood pressure and got averages over a period of time to just see where they are, because that is one of the number one indicators for a cardiovascular event, right? So a stroke, a heart attack, I think it's really important, especially with cardiovascular disease being the number one cause of death in the US. I really think it's super important to track your blood pressure on a regular basis, go online, Get yourself a blood pressure cuff. Keep it at home. CVS. Go to CVS. Do it in the machine that they have at CVS, but do it somewhat regularly. I think that this is something that is far overlooked, and I think it's something that needs to be talked about more. Yeah, I 100% agree with you because I think um, you're talking this is more for, from a preventative standpoint. Like if you know out the gate things are starting to shift and change in your blood pressure, then you can be proactive in taking you know, action and making some changes, lifestyle, whatever it might be. But yeah, absolutely. I would also add sleep into that too, tracking sleep. Tracking your sleep. I mean, nowadays you could track your sleep on your watch if you want to sleep with your watch on. Yeah. 
Lab value, speaking of blood pressure and things that get measured at the doctor's office, I always say you want to check your lab values, but you also want to ask for things that maybe aren't always measured. So your CBC, you know, your liver enzymes, your, uh, your kidneys, your, your bun, bun creatinine ratio, Mm -hmm. things like that are all going to be standard. There are other metrics that we want to look at from, for example, get your testosterone, get your estrogen checked. Because especially if you're on the heavier side, yeah, people who are on the heavier side tend to have lower testosterone and higher estrogen mm-hmm. men I'm talking about. So, yeah. and Nicole, you can speak to the, the female side of this, but I think it's very important to be aware of that. Now, does that mean you need testosterone replacement therapy? No, absolutely not. I mean, you lose the weight, you exercise, you eat the yeah, right you foods. You start with the lifestyle stuff. You start with that and that could fix the problem for a lot of people. Yeah. But it's important to get certain lab values done and make yeah. sure that just kind of a health check. It's preventative. If you are aware, we talk about this all the time with clients in terms of getting uh, their vitamin D levels checked, making sure that their uh, A1C is normal. Like you want to know before things start to get to a place where, like you said, it's an event. That's a good way to say it. Like you go to the doctors one year and all of a sudden your blood pressure is off the charts or your A1C is starting to climb or you're skipping periods for females or getting or periods are off, whatever it might be. You don't want to wait till it gets to that point if you're paying attention and tracking. And I also think this is a piece that's uh, when we talk about tracking, we're talking about health before we start talking about and then we adding in lifestyle which is your nutrition and your exercise and your sleep and all that stuff. But people have to start being more proactive. We can't be depending on doctors to fix things once you've already kind of ignored what's been going on. So, yeah. And you know. I mean, here's the thing. Part of the reason why I want to talk about this in tracking progress is because lab values are a way to assess progress. If you check yeah. your cholesterol yep. and your LDL cholesterol is elevated and your HDL cholesterol is low and you go to the doctor six months later after you've started an exercise program Mm -hmm. and a nutrition program, then you can track those metrics over time. You're tracking your health markers. Same with your blood pressure. If you're not currently on blood pressure medication and your doctor is telling you, or you're realizing that it's high. Okay. Well, what do I need to do from a lifestyle standpoint to get that down? Am I consuming too much sodium? Am I not consuming enough potassium? Because I think that people don't, understand that potassium actually does the opposite of sodium when it comes to blood pressure. So if you Mm -hmm. consume vegetables and stuff that are higher in potassium, that's going to benefit your blood pressure. So you can look at it from a dietary approach. You can look at from an exercise approach and just track your progress in those health parameters over a period of time. And then Nicole, the last piece to tracking your progress is tracking your biofeedback, which sleep is a part of that. Mm -hmm. Are you having trouble staying asleep? Are you having trouble falling asleep? You need to assess those things. How do you feel in the morning? Tracking your hunger, tracking your energy, tracking your cravings. Are you craving salty foods? Are you craving uh, sugary foods or sweet foods? And also tracking your sex drive to see if your body and your hormones are functioning optimally because sex drive, I mean, I could go into tracking sex drive and then tracking your erections because erections for men is going to be potentially an indicator for cardiovascular disease or cardiovascular issues, right? Mm-hmm. So that, and Nicole's over here smiling at me, but <laughs> it's, it's true. No, I'm just giggling because I'm going to let you speak on that. <laughs> I'll speak on it all day, baby. 
So these are things like the biofeedback stuff you really want to assess, especially hunger. Like I tell people to track on a scale of one to 10, how hungry are you? 10 being the highest. And if you're really like close to a 10, then we need to assess what are you doing in order to address this in your deficit? Is the deficit too low or do you need to eat certain foods that are more volume for less calories or eat more fiber, more protein and drink more water? So biofeedback is going to tell you whether or not the plan is working Working. for you, whether it's too much, whether it's too little, it's going to tell you all of that stuff on top of measuring your weight, measuring, doing your progress pictures and all the things that generally people think about, but you need to think outside the box when it comes to measuring progress, because there are a multitude of different things that you can factor into what progress actually looks like. Yes, absolutely. And I agree. And think we should say again, that you can create the best lifestyle program and not be sleeping well and feeling super hungry and having low energy, which means it's probably not a good fit. And you need to make changes because you want this to be something that you can do from now on. Yeah. And Nicole, I I really just think that being able to track all of these different metrics, tracking your progress, tracking your food, tracking your activity, it's all just part of a well-balanced, well-rounded program. Yes. And that's what we look to do for our clients is provide them with a well-balanced program that covers all of the parameters that need to be covered. And I know that it might seem overwhelming because it's a lot, but we don't do it all in once. You start tracking things little by little and you start creating habits around the things that you're tracking. And then it becomes second nature as if it's brushing your teeth or flossing or, you know, tying your shoes, right? It's it's something that you just need to build over time and create awareness around these things, learn, educate, use it for what it needs to be used for, and then continue forward and progress and be the best you. Yeah. And that is the difference between coaching a client and just handing them a meal plan and exercise program and sending them on their way because you miss out on all the things you just mentioned in the conversation with your coach and trying to figure out what's working, what's not, and then how to navigate through all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you want to add, Nicole? Uh, No, I think we got everything. What about you? That's it. So that's all we got for you. And ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week.